God, today we ask you to hear our prayers. We ask for healing. In a day where we are so connected to the world, set us apart. In a time of great unrest and uncertainty, we ask for holiness. So search our hearts, renew our minds, and help us love like you love us. Make us holy. Use us to do your will on this earth. God, today we ask that you would restore us. Gather up the bits and pieces of our souls and mend them with your loving hand. Search out those parts that we try to hide from you. Today, God, we invite you in. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. We trust you. May we be set apart for you. May we be holy. tell this is not set up for me, right? <laughs> Can you see me? <laughs> uh, it is good to see everybody here this morning, and uh, we're thankful that uh, we're able to gather together. It's a privilege. It's a freedom that we have. Uh, we recognize right now there are several in our congregation who aren't feeling well, who are sick, and uh, we certainly want to pray for them. Uh, the elders are fully aware of the fact that there are several that have been sick, and uh, we are so thankful that we have the ability to broadcast our services. You know, what's amazing is that, that that ability to do that happened right before COVID. I mean, the Lord is just so, so good. And so we're so thankful. And for those of you who are at home today watching, we're thankful that you're able to do that. And for those of you that are here this morning, uh, we're thankful that we can see you. And uh, we want to worship the Lord together. That's why we've come today. I did want to just give you a brief announcement um, a lot to rejoice about just in terms of our relationship with the Lord if you're saved and the fellowship that we can enjoy. But there's all, there are also at times in the body of Christ opportunities to just encourage you in relationship to how the Lord provides. And a few months ago we had um, announced to you a, a $50,000 challenge that there was some money given uh, toward uh, the building uh, fund. And um, somebody had, some different folks had had. Uh, given 50000 toward that, like a matching fund, and we have reached that goal already. And so we praise the Lord for that. And, I mean, isn't that awesome? The Lord is so good. And uh, I would just encourage us that we continue, right? We said we were going to go through October, so let's just keep keep giving. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the Lord's going to use uh, the funds after we're finished paying for the building, how he's going to use those in relationship to ministry and to missions. And so you just continue to be faithful to give as you are, and we're so thankful for that. And if you've been visiting with us for a while and you're wondering, hey, why don't you guys pass an offering plate? Um, In short, we believe that God's people give. And so um, we're just asking that the Lord work work out in you what that looks like. Uh, for your life. So I wanted to read um, some scripture this morning. So I'm going to have you stand and I just want to read. Um, I've read this scripture several times, but I'm going to read it again. 
because it's a really good one. I was reminded of it this morning in Family Matters. We just had a time of prayer for the church and, and prayer for just different needs within the body and different things. And, and someone mentioned in their prayer, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, and it just brought to my mind, hey, Lord, this, there's a lot of good stuff there. So I just wanted to read these few verses as we begin our service this morning. Paul says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I love verse 7, but you got to do verse 6 to get verse 7. That makes sense? I mean, you want that peace, and there are a lot of people right now in our, in our world and just struggling with that whole concept of having peace. And we know as believers, there's lots of things that, that bring anxiety in our lives, concern in our lives, and we need to bring these things to the Lord. But listen to what it says. As we re- make these requests known to God, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, will guard your heart's and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? Finally, brethren, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And in that Man, that's so true. Like, our minds go a hundred different directions. The Lord wants us to focus on those things. And then he says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Aren't we glad the Lord offers us a peace that the world is unfamiliar with? Let's uh, pray together, all right? Lord, we just, we just are so thankful and grateful for who you are this morning. And I pray that's true in our lives today, that we're just thankful to, uh, if we're in relationship with you, thankful for that relationship, thankful for the fellowship that you offer us on a daily basis. And Lord, I just want to pray uh, this morning for those within our congregation who are not feeling well. I pray for them, Lord, that you would... Um, Lord, you would be uh, their strength and their comfort during this time. And Lord, if there's any anxiety there, I just pray, Lord, that, that uh, for our people, that, Lord, they would know the peace that comes from you as we bring these things to you and, and as we lay them at your feet. And, your, Lord, you tell us to cast all our cares, all our burdens on you because you care for us. And so, Lord, we, just, we care for these people that aren't with us today. We love them. Whatever their situation, I just pray, Lord, that you would... Um, just today, Lord, help them to understand and know your grace, your favor in their life. And Lord, this morning, I pray for the service that it would honor you. And I, I pray for David, Lord, as he brings forth your word. Uh, Lord, I, I just pray that you would work it in our, our lives, uh, Lord, that we might even surrender more of ourselves to you. And uh, as we live in, in different days, Lord, as last days, really, And I just pray, Lord, as we look for your coming, that we would be faithful to disseminate the gospel of Christ to other people. And Lord, I just uh, look forward to what you're going to do through the service today. And in everything, may you be honored and may you be glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
Well, wow, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today, amen? amen. And uh, we're just going to come together. This is our choir, you know. This is kind of, kind of a small group here, but uh, we want to worship together, and it's just good to be here. You know, there's a lot of talk about COVID and about all the things that it does. You know, it takes away your smell, and it takes away your taste, you know. Well, let me tell you something. There's a taste that even COVID can't take away from you. And David tells us in the Psalms, Psalms 34, uh, verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. Blessed or happy is the man who trusts in him. So we trust in him and we're here to worship him this morning. So join us and just joyfully sing, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee.
Yes, he's a wonderful, merciful Savior. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'd like for us to sing one more song. I want to let you be seated while we sing this. But uh, the video we saw just a few minutes ago talks about how we should desire to be holy as God is holy. We'll be hearing more about that a little bit later on. But sometimes God has to put us through a refiner's fire to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what this song is all about. I want you to sing along with it. We've done it before. It's been a while. But just catch on to it and sing along with us. Refiner's Fire. <laughs> Lord, we know 
we live in turbulent times, but we also know that you're living our lives with us. We thank you, God, for the relationship that we have with you through Christ. We thank you for the way that you take care of us, sometimes invisibly. And we pray that we would never lose our confidence in you. Help us to understand, Lord, that your ways are beyond us. And at times when we waver, that you're there to be our strength. I thank you, Father, for the relationship that each of us has with you, for you drawing us to you, for you making us your adopted children. I pray that, like all children, our desire might be to accomplish what you purpose for us in our lives. And now, Lord, I pray that we would listen attentively as a message of hope and encouragement comes to us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Well, good morning. The day is here when I get to stand before you. So uh, excited to do that. Looking forward to it. Let me turn this on before I forget. And yeah, I think we're good to go. Um, <clears throat> about, oh, I don't know, a few weeks ago, how many of you are optimists? And uh, how many are optimists? Raise your hands. If you're an optimist, raise your hand. I'm taking a survey. So everyone else is a pessimist. If you don't have your hand up, you're a pessimist, okay? Melinda, she swears she's a realist, not a pessimist. But I'll give you an example of her pessimism. We were riding um, up to Aniana to get some fresh vegetables a few weeks ago. And we're riding up 79, and there's a little country church on the side. And uh, there's a lot of cars and people going to the church. And I'm driving. I look over and say, oh, it's a wedding today. And there's a quiet pause for a moment. And Melinda says, yeah, or a funeral. <laughs> So the last few days I've been thinking about optimism. So I Googled how many optimists in the world, you know. I'm just curious and uh, thinking about it. And uh, not a lot of information on that, but I learned some things. I learned some things that were interesting, that optimists, the people that are optimists live longer. I got a slide here. Is this it? Yeah, there. No, there it is. Optimism lives longer. And, and they live 11 to 15% longer. When I saw that, I was like, yeah, but Melinda would say, but what that, is that going to get you, but what, two more years in the nursing home? <laughs> so I'm like, that's true. <laughs> and when, when I saw that optimism lived longer, the article I read said, and pessimism knew it would be that way. The pessimists knew it would be that way. <laughs> so just something to get us started with this morning. Now, how many of you during the COVID event, this has been going on a long time, how many of you would admit that you binged watch something on TV. We, we did. We binged watched. We, everybody, I think, did. We were locked down, nothing to do, and we just watched things on TV. We started out, I think, with The Monk and then Closure and, and a Burn Notice, and now we're still on Law and Order. It just goes on forever. You can tell we like detective shows. But we actually ended up with Andy Griffith. We got so desperate, we were watching all the Andy Griffiths in, in chronological order. How many of y'all watched Andy Griffith during that time? I see y'all, yeah, it was happening. And uh, we saw something on Steve McQueen, a special. And so uh, we said, well, let's just go back and look at all the Steve McQueen movies in chronological order. And that's what we did. We kind of followed them along, you know. And uh, we even did all the superhero movies again. So, I mean, we were getting, you know, just so much time on our hands. How many of you have ever seen the History Channel called Alone? It's a series called Alone. Really good show. I don't do a lot of these reality shows, but this one is really good. They take 10 people, 
and they give them 10 items in a backpack, and they put them on a remote area in the world. They started in Vancouver, and it rained, 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 rained every day. <clears throat> the next show, they went down to Patagonia, South America. They went to Mongolia. Uh, they went back to the Arctic. And surprisingly, you'd be surprised how much food is in the Arctic. Bunny rabbits. And this one guy kills a musk ox, and, and it didn't kill him. He jumped on his back and cut his throat. I mean, it's really something. So they take these people, they, they give them a, a walkie-talkie, and they say, anytime you're ready to quit, you just call and tap out. And you let us know, you will come get you in a boat or helicopter, and they tap out, and they're gone. Ten people who last the longest gets a half million dollars in these remote areas. They have no food. No, they can't take a weapon. Later, they start letting them take a bow and arrow, like for the muskox. But they have like eight series, and this is probably number eight this year. And it's really interesting. I've seen guys tap out in three hours. This is Joe. I'm tapping out. And that guy said, I'm not afraid of bears. And you know what he's saying? He was a military guy. He was saying, there's bears out here. I ain't calling for no backup. What am I going to do? There's no backup. He said, this is Joe. I'm tapping out. <laughs> he's scared of the bear. And then other guys go over 100 days. It's a real survivalist. So it's an interesting show. But the one thing the show, it, inevitably what always happens is if you ever see, and right now we're watching some, if you ever see these guys say, I think I've accomplished everything I need to. I'm, I'm really missing my, my family. With my, my time with my family is more valuable than what I'm doing here. If they ever start talking about family, they're gone. They're tapping out every time. Because the show is based on a premise of humankind that is so true to nature, and that is that we need people. People need, it's the aloneness that kills them. It's not eating the mice <laughs> or the rats or the bugs or the berries. Or, it's being alone. That's what gets them. And it's, it's just a great show, but it it's proves the point that people need people. <clears throat> and 2021 has proven to us all over again and fresh and anew that we need people. We need one another. We need one another. We need to come together <clears throat> and do life together. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to cough and sniff a lot. That's just David Nichols. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I wished I could give that gift back to my daddy, but, <laughs> you know, he gave me. But it's just the way it is. Um, handling extraordinary days. We're living in some very, very, very extraordinary days. Difficult as they may be, uh, this pandemic has really caused us to, to rethink the way we do a lot of stuff in life. And they're very extraordinary days. But the one thing that it's proved to us is that God is relational. And he's built us to be relational. We need one another. We need each other. And any time that we're forced into isolation, uh, bad things are going to happen. That's why they use it as a form of torture, to isolate people. Uh, it's not healthy. It's not good for us. Suicide rates have gone up. Uh, the divorce rate has shot up. Um, many people have been discouraged and lonely over this year. How many of us have not said, I just want this to be over? I'm tired of this. I want to take off the mask. I want to go to the restaurants. I want to hug my family and friends. You know, I want to, I want to be, do life again. I want to be happy. How many of us have said that? I mean, it's just human nature. And you may have felt like Ned at times, and I'm not belittling those that are sick right now, but a little bit of humor helps sometimes. And I saw this cartoon about Ned, and I'm like, yeah, that's the way some people kind of feel, I think. The chicken of depression. <laughs> Forget the bird of happiness. We're, so, you know, it's hard on us. It's hard to be alone. And, and we've experienced that, that God has made us to be relational. And as the elders have met and we've prayed and we've discussed this last, you know, year and a half, 
Every one of us, it dawned on me one night, every one of the elders have faced some kind of loss in family and friends and difficulties, and not to mention the normal day-in, day-out struggles of marriage and life and death and kids, and we've all faced that. We're right there with you, and as I went around the room, I could, every one of us could testify that we've struggled in that way in some home. And, and we were wondering, how do we minister through that to the church? You know, how do we, be, how do we help the church? We're a microcosm of the church. And how do we deal with this? How do we encourage our folks? And so we, what would the post-COVID church look like? It's never going to be the same. I mean, it's impacted the church of God. And so what's that going to look like? And so we prayed and we fasted and we decided to come together and do some of these do five messages and <clears throat> just to try to encourage our people to do life together. Sit back on. Okay, they're working on it. And that's deadly for me because I have lots of slides. <laughs> so I need that back. <clears throat> but I've been asked to cover, cover two topics that at first may seem to be at odds with one another. And they are somewhat. I'll admit there's tension there. But it really comes down to definitions in the end. And those two topics are holiness and happiness. <clears throat> Many of us claim to be Christ followers and we, we say that we're Christian and I think through the years that, uh, most of us I hope, and I think through the years that we've began to push back on this ideal of happiness. We begin to push back on the ideal that I deserve to be happy. <laughs> we think that, you know, it's all about holiness in our lives. And that's true, it is. But we've pushed back on the ideal that we should seek happiness. I know I have. I always said, you know, I don't, I don't deserve it, Lord. Thank you. And, and that's true. But we could go to any number of scriptures, too, that would show us that, yeah, there we go. And I'm on number, I'm on number three in my slides. So any number of scriptures where John 16, says, Jesus said, in the world you're going to have happiness. <laughs> he didn't say that, did he? In the world you're going to have tribulation. And, and, and Second Peter, Paul tells us, if you, if you live godly, you're going to suffer. I mean, we know those scriptures. First Peter 4.12, and we're going to come back to First Peter later, but it tells us there that, that we shouldn't think it's strange or odd or abnormal if we suffer persecution, you know, we're going to suffer in the world. He calls them fiery trials there. He calls them fiery trials. So it's true that in regards to being willing to stand up for the gospel and to suffer for the name of Christ, it's just all in the word for us as believers. And I know that, and, and I think we know that. The church was never promised health and wealth and prosperity. And Thad closed out a few weeks ago in 2 Timothy, and he, he said that Paul spoke his own eulogy. And Paul said, I fought the good fight. I run the race. I finished the course. I've been happy in life. He didn't say I've been happy, did he? No, no. So we know that there's going to be the adversity and the persecution and the difficulties. And all of that, a lot of times, as a result of us living godly, trying to live a holy life, trying to please the Lord. But as I've studied this, I've come to a realization that while I don't want to deny the theology I know and the scriptures I know, I've come to a real, and there, and there are many, 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 many of our brothers and sisters today who are facing that around the world. They're, they're, they're being persecuted. They're in prisons, and they're suffering for the gospel. And that goes on all the time. And, and to not belittle that or think little, it made me think of some questions when I was studying this. And that is, good do, good do, does God want me to be happy? And that question led me to another question then. I thought, well, does my desire for happiness conflict with my desire to be holy? Remember, my two topics are happiness and holiness, and there's tension there. So how are we going to think about that? And then thirdly, how do I define happiness and holiness? That's what it's going to come down to for us. 
How do I define it? And so let's look at happiness first. What does the world say about happiness? Okay, here's a quote by a guy named Eric Hoffer. He's some philosopher. I don't know, but he says, the search for happiness is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. <laughs> Pretty true. <laughs> and then Aristotle many years ago said, happiness depends on ourselves, on us. And I even found a quote by Beyonce that says the same thing. Happiness comes from you. No one else can make you happy. You make you happy. Okay, that, that's pretty good. And then Burns, uh, George Burns, remember he did a little bit 150. He, he, he finally died. <laughs> he said, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family living in another city. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's his definition. And then I found one by uh, Audrey Hepburn, an actress we, we watched a lot. And like, she's, she's got it right for the world. She says, the most important thing is to enjoy your life uh, and, and to be happy. So that's the way. And then in 19, we were in a restaurant, and this song came on. It reminded me of this. And uh, when I went to the restroom uh, at Applebee's, when we saw Larry and a member, we saw Barry and Luanne there that day. So Bobby McFerrin in 1988 wrote a song, a little song that was really popular. It went to number one on the 100 Billboard chart, and it's a cappella. It's the only a cappella song to ever be number one. It stayed there two weeks. What is it, Dean? You know all the songs. That's right, that song. And it goes, here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. If every, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> See? And why was that song number one? Why was it so popular? Because people want to be happy. It's a common human desire. There's nothing wrong with that. And people want to be happy. I looked at, I Googled it. I said, what's happiness? This is what Google said. An emotional state or sense of well-being, contentment, joy, a sense of positive feeling about who we are in our circumstances in life. And when I read that, I'm like, I like that definition. Innately, there's nothing wrong with that definition about happiness. But it's what we're willing to do and sacrifice to get there. Okay? It's how we seek to fulfill those desires what are we willing to do? And we're going to look at an example of a person who made some bad decisions in a minute about seeking worldly happiness. So does the Bible talk about happiness? Especially like in a positive note, in a positive way. And uh, I think it does. Is there such a thing as biblical happiness? Is there even such a thing in the Bible? And I think there is. In the Bible, the words blessed and happy and glad and rejoice are all the same Greek word, or the root of the same Greek word, okay? And they're all interchangeable terms. Oh, they're all interchangeable. And um, <clears throat> the Hebrew word, if we look at it, is a shear. And it's translated in the Old Testament 27 times blessed and 18 times happy, all right? And uh, today I'm going to be using a Bible you might not be familiar with, but it's my Spurgeon notes are in it, and it's called the Christian Study Bible, the C. SB, so you might not be as quite familiar, but it brings these points out really well. So if we look at the first verse would be, here's the verse at Proverbs 3, <clears throat> which is all about the rewards of wisdom. And Proverbs 3 and verse 13 says, happy is the man, assure is the man who finds wisdom. And assure in verse 18 are those who hold on to wisdom once they find it. And then in Psalms 1:1 it says the first word in the book of Psalms is assure. It's happy. Very happy. Blessed is the man. And it's said that this psalm is called the perfect psalm because it sets, in some respects, it introduces the complete book of psalms. 
all of the Psalms, as a godly message. It opens it with a big benediction about happiness, and, and, uh, and much like the, the Sermon on the Mount. So <clears throat> it's an interesting way to start that book. And then I looked up uh, what Spurgeon had to say in the notes when I saw that, and it, he had a big note there. And it says, Psalms 1-1, happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. So he says, this word, which the writer uses in the original, is exceedingly expressive. It implies a sort of plurality of happiness, and it is scarcely known whether the word is an adjective or a noun, as if the happiness qualifies the whole of life and was in itself better even than life itself. Surely this is the highest to which the human heart can aspire. This happiness is attainable to the poor, to the forgotten, to the obscure, as it is to those whose names figure in history and to those who are trumpeted by fame. <laughs> That's the kind of happiness that Psalms is talking about. And then Psalms 128, another great verse that says, How happy, how assured is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in all his ways. And I love this verse, and I want to spend just a couple minutes here because this verse, when you dissect it, it's so neat because it's the, the fear here is, how do we fear? It's reverence for God. And how do we reverence God? By our walk. And that word walk is an interesting word. It's used 110 times in the Hebrew as walk, but 217 times in the Hebrew as to go. So it carries the idea like in Matthew 28, make disciples. As you're going through life, make disciples. Okay, that, that's the ideal. And the Hebrew word here implies that as you're going through life, you're walking carefully, guarding your steps to stay on the path, taking precise steps. It's like Paul said that we would walk circumspectly, okay? There in Ephesians 5, Paul says to, to redeem the times, and he says to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because why? The days are evil. That's where we get our word acrobat. Acrobos is circumcision, acrobos. It's accurately, carefully, diligently, exactly, perfectly stepping. So the ideal is a tightrope walker, and he's walking this line. And, and you guys know when he walks that line, a lot of times they carry some weight, a balancing beam, and they're walking the line. But if you ever notice, and I have some, some connection with this, because you know, most of you know, I'm, I'm an iron worker, and I've walked steel all my life. And so when the tightrope walker is walking, he's accurate where he put his steps, but his goal is the, 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 the end of the, tra- the trail. His goal is where he's headed. His goal is the end. You're looking at the destiny, okay? And so as an iron worker, I'm walking beams two feet wide sometimes, two or 300 feet in the air, or I'm walking a little piece of the angle that's three inches wide. And I'm looking here just a little bit, 20% here, but 80% on my de- destination. When I was a young man, about 17 years old or 18, I was working at a blue, blue circle cement down in Calera, and I was walking this big crane beam and there was a rail between it where the, where the overhead crane ran, so my feet was on each side of the rail. It had the bolt, so I had to f- focus where I was walking. But I was walking, and I got so focused on where I was walking that I got real dizzy, <laughs> and I had to sit down. Because you can't focus where you're walking. You watch where you're walking, like the verse says, but the goal, and the destiny here is not heaven. The destiny in that verse is revering God. Destiny in that that verse is living a life, walking a life that I will be revering God with my life. So when I'm walking, if you're looking straight down, all the distractions of the myrrh of all the things below you confuse you. Isn't that just, I mean, there's so many things that connect to the Christian life in that verse. Because if you're you're focusing here so much on you and this and right now what you're doing, you're going to be, you're going to be really blown away by all the clutter in life around you. 
Keep your eye on the, des- on the destination. The destination in this verse is revering God. So we're careful we walk our steps. We're revering God with it. And then that, that ideal of the weight. Oh, I found it so much easier to walk still when I had some weight in my hands. Not in one hand. You get a bucket of boats in one hand, it's hard to walk balanced. But you get two buckets of both, it's easy to walk balanced. And that, was, that weight represents our responsibility as Christians. Living the balanced Christian life. We're living, we're doing what we're supposed to do in life, in a balance of life. Following the scripture. And as we are, we're walking where we, watch where we put our steps, and we're keeping our eye on the destiny. I love that verse, so I had to spend a minute there. But the Amplified says there, in this verse, that man's happy. But the Amplified really brings it out. It says he's fortunate and he's to be envied. He's to be envied. And later we're going to talk about 1 Peter where it says, always be ready for, to give an answer for the reason the hope that is within you. Well, that's this person. If you're not happy in life, if you don't display hope in the world, they're not going to ever ask you about it. And that's what this is talking about. What about the New Testament? <clears throat> the New Testament word for happy is makarios. And it's used a lot. Jesus used this word. Jesus liked the word happy. <laughs> and he answers the, the, the main question in life for people is, how can I be happy? And when he starts the Sermon on the Mount, he's telling you how to be happy. He's telling us. And in Matthew 5 through 7, it's the Beatitudes. And that word of Beatitudes that we use is even an interesting word. It means literally spiritual blessedness and supreme happiness. <clears throat> and the word beatitudes come from a Latin word called beatus. Beatus is translated best into English as happy or bliss. <laughs> and so when we say the beatitudes, we're talking about happiness, basically. And so when Jesus talks about it in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, 11 times in the first 11 verses, he uses the word happy. Happy is the man. That, happy is the man. Happy is the man. And we'll look at that in a minute a little more. But, but he says here... Um, Okay, I gave you that. In John 13, 17, Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Happy are you if you do them. And in 1 Peter 4, that verse I gave you earlier, I wanted to go back to this because, you know, 1 Peter is a book that is all about joy in the midst of suffering. (laughs) And where have we been living the last year and a half? (laughs) A lot of heartache and a lot of pain. Probably every one of us have known someone that has died from this or suffered greatly from it. And even Ron, you know, you don't know it. Ron was in the hospital, and, and he, you don't know it, but Ron suffered. He's hard, it's hard for him to breathe when we're singing. And we just realized after, he said, it's probably the COVID. <laughs> and we said, yeah, you're, you know, your lungs were affected. And he doesn't have the breath that he had at one time. So he's having to, you know, try to build that back up. But First Peter is all about joy through and in the midst of suffering. In First Peter, it says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if some unusual thing, some weird thing happens. But instead rejoice as you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also re- uh, rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. And then look at the next verse. It says, and if you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, you are happy because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Macarius is all in that verse. Happiness is, saturates that verse. And you know what else saturates it? Difficulties. <laughs> Difficulties. There's a guy <clears throat> named... Um, there's a guy named Betchel with the Ezra Project. And I saw this note, and I just want to read through it with you because it's, it's very revealing about happiness. He said, true happiness does not lie in sex, in entertainment, and in money, and notoriety. 
it is bound up with a word that Jesus used on a hillside in Galilee at the start of history's most famous sermon. Okay, he said the word translated blessed here in the Greek, Macarius, the closest word we have in the English is happy. Happy. In fact, Bible translators use the word happy in Matthew 5. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those that mourn. Happy are those who hunger and thirst. Happy are the persecuted. He says the rendering brings about the shocking impact that Christ's statements made on his hearers. I mean, they're listening to this. What do you mean happy are the, those that hunger and thirst and happy are the persecuted? What do you mean by that, Lord? I mean, it, it shocked them. Would you say that the best route to happiness is to be poor and grieving and hungry and persecuted? <laughs> they wouldn't either. The disciples wouldn't either. Of course not. We believe the very opposite of that. And these pronouncements were just, were just as shocking and, uh, and intuitive as, uh, to the first century audience. And he says here, the Bible, however, presents a drastically different prescription. Consider the things that make a person happy. Wait a minute, I skipped a slide. Yeah, it's 52 times. And here's what I wanted. The ancient Greeks described their gods as Macarius because they lounged around Mount Olympus enjoying all the privileges of divine power. The word also was used to describe the rich uh, living free from the usual cares of life. In the Greek view, the word happy, if you had possessions or marriage or maybe being a bachelor, anything that made you happy, you know, it satisfied your need, that's what they said. Children or fame or even death, the, the, it says, with the release of life's problems. So the Greek word for happy was viewed in that way. Then we come to the Bible, however, presents a drastically different prescription, different completely. Consider the things that will make a person happy, Macarius, in the New Testament. Happy are those who obey God. Happy are those who believe in God. Happy are those who receive uh, uh, a truth revealed by God. Happy is the one who remains faithful, waiting for the Lord's return. Happy is the one who serves others. Happy is the one who receives salvation. Happy is the one who experienced persecution from Jesus. All the word Macarius, over and over through that section, through those different verses. So, it's interesting. The question is, what does the Bible really teach us about how to be happy in life? And it's very plain to see, I think, that it's not what the world teaches. <laughs> in many respects, it's just the opposite. Biblical happiness is completely different from worldly happiness. And then if it is, what's the difference? What is the difference? And here's the difference. The difference is the focus of our happiness. Dad spoke last week about our focus. John spoke about our focus, about having eternal perception, eternal perspective. See what he called it. Biblical happiness. It's the focus of our happiness. Biblical happiness or blessedness is not earthly focused. <laughs> it's heavenly focused. Okay? Biblical happiness is literally out of this world. It's looking for eternity, not for tomorrow or next week. It's not health or wealth. It's a focus on a person. Jesus, not on things. Okay? So it's, it, the basis of our happiness has to be shifted, and the focus has to be shifted away from all that's going on around us, or we won't experience it. He's the reason. He's the reason that we can have happiness even though the world has given us all this changing, confusing, conflicted stuff around us constantly, we can experience happiness that's deep and rich and full. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, you know, that I've come to give you life and that I've come to give you life abundantly. And the abundant life is all about what life is to be. Everything in life is about Jesus. 
And when it's about Jesus, you're going to experience a happy life. Okay, there's no other way around it. Billy Graham had a great uh, quote on this too. He said, the happiness which brings enduring worth of life is not the superficial happiness that's dependent on circumstances. It's the happiness and contentment that fills the soul even in the midst, in the most, I'm sorry, in the midst of most distressing circumstances and most bitter environment. So it's not an emotion that's eternal. It involves an inward purpose and a peace of the soul and the spirit. It's a happiness of the soul and the spirit. Happiness comes as we know Christ and as we seek to make Christ known. That's what happiness is all about. And the heart of what Jesus is teaching us is that it's all in him. And it's through him and by him and for him. Relationship with him realigns our thinking away from the struggles of the world and gives us true happiness. So many people in the world are seeking for happiness. I was with a young man just yesterday, I think it was, or Friday, Friday, and uh, he just, I was sharing with him back and forth. We were together a little bit, and he was saying, I am miserable in my job. <laughs> he said, I hate my job. I've been married twice, and I'm going to marry this girl because I'm just trying again. And he's just miserable. He's just miserable. And so, you know, only Christ can bring us a happiness that's constant. <laughs> it's constant. All right, what about holiness? Holiness. Well, Hebrews tells us that to pursue holiness, it's a mindset. We're to chase after it. It demands our focus, our purpose, our action, watching where we're putting our steps, keeping our eye on the destination, that type of thing. First Peter 1.16 tells us to be ye holy. That's a command. It's not an option for us as Christians. We know that. It's a command. Do it and do it now. And keep on doing it. <laughs> and, uh, and Peter calls us a holy nation and later on in that chapter, in verse, uh, that book of me. And in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul says that we're holy ambassadors. So we know as Christians, we have this call, this demand to be holy. And I would say to you that biblical happiness is impossible without holiness. Okay? It's impossible. And there are several examples of people in the Bible that we could look at who, who, who exchanged biblical happiness. They were walking with the Lord, and they chased after worldly happiness. They left their, 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 their um, foundation. They left their understanding of who God is and chased after the world. And you know there are people, people like that, who had to learn a, a hard lesson. And we mentioned the verse in 1 Corinthians 10 that their lives are, are there in the Word for an example for us. So we've got the strongest man, Samson, that ever lived. He made a bad swap. He swapped true happiness for pseudo-happiness. Solomon, wisest man to ever live. But look how his life ended up. He swapped pseudo-happiness, true, true happiness for pseudo-happiness. David, the godliest man. Again, mistakes, errors, and judgment, leaving that foundation he had, leaving the understanding of the truth of God's word and, and uh, the, all that he knew about it, he decided one day to swap true happiness for pseudo-happiness. Okay, they've all made mistakes that were were just horrible and horribly disappointed. There's another individual I want to take a minute to look at that may have been one of the best examples of this, and we kind of, I think, look past him a lot. This guy was a righteous man. He was a man of covenant, a man of promise. He had everything going his way. He had self-respect, a growing family. He had an understanding of his purpose in life. He had a great por uh, financial portfolio working for him. <laughs> he was doing really well. A very, very, very blessed man. And a man with an amazing heritage, but a man that made the mistake of seeking happiness instead of holiness. 
A man that decided to turn away from the things he knew to the the unknown. To walk away from his mentor. To walk away from his spiritual leader that he had. To embracing the world as folly. And that man was Abraham's nephew, Lot. Lot. I'm going to talk about Lot a minute. He's a great example of the struggle of a God follower to be in this world without becoming a part of this world. And listen, it's no new struggle. It is, it is going on today. It's been there for years. I think this past year we've all struggled with it. Now, I just want to be honest with you, man. I think the church of God has been in conflict. We are in conflict. The past 18 months has brought a great amount of tension to believers. Uh, there's been a great amount of confusion and disagreement over how to respond to this pandemic. And we shouldn't, guys. We shouldn't. The church should be united. We should be putting others above ourselves and considering others through this crisis we're in and not belittling it in any way. People are dying. And if somebody wants to wear a mask, let them wear a mask. We should consider others and, and you know, not, not, not listen to what, because a lot of the confusion and a lot of the tension has come as we've become more and more and more connected to the world, more and more influenced by the world. And listen, it has impacted us. I promise you it's impacted the way we view others, the way we view the church, and our view of God. All of that. Because we're listening to things that we're just filling our minds with things that are, that are negative and they're, they're not where we need to have our focus. And the story of Lot, when we look at Lot, we tend to focus on the corporate sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was gross. It was horrible. Sodom and Gomorrah was the pits. But I ask you this question, what about the man? What about the man? What about Lot? And we say, well, Lot, was he even a believer? Yeah, yeah, he was. The story ends up here with a man of covenant and a man of promise living completely saturated by the world. He was completely smothered in a cesspool of sin. And, and we, know, we know that he was a believer because Second Peter tells us, it says this, and if he reduced the God, God, if he reduced the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is, uh, is coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, he was a believer. He was walking with God at one time. Righteous Lot, distressed and vexed and depraved by the depraved behavior of the immoral. For, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day after day, his righteous soul was tormented and vexed by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. That's where a lot of us are at. We're just vexed by the world, tormented by it. You can't turn a television on without seeing two guys kiss each other or something. And, and the world we live in is just so, so bad now. And we're just vexed by it. And it's just terrible. So we think about Lot. So I want to bring us up to date. Chapter 11, Terah leaves the land of the Chaldeans. He goes to Canaan. He dies there. He takes Abraham, Sarah, and, and his son, Haran, had died. So he carries Lot with him. So they're journeying. He dies there. God speaks to, to Abraham in chapter 12 and, and, and moves him on again and, and gives him the promise of the covenant. And with Abraham goes Sarah and goes Lot and the people with him. All right, chapter 13, Lot goes down into Egypt. He gets into trouble there. I mean, uh, Abraham does. He gets in trouble there and he lies. Lot's with him. Then when they come out of Egypt, they got a lot of wealth. They brought a lot of wealth with them. And so their herds begin to grow. So they begin to have some conflict between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. And they have this, uh, this, this tension building between them. 
So in chapter 13, Abraham goes to, uh, goes to Lot and says, look, there's no re- reason we're relatives. We love each other. Let's don't argue. It's just logistics. You choose where you want to have your herds, and I'll take my herds to another place. You go to the right, left, or I'll go left, you go right. It doesn't matter. So Lot looked into the plain, and he saw it was nice and green, nice for herds. Good business decision, okay? So he goes down there. He gives Abraham the rough land. <laughs> so he goes down. But verse uh, 13 of chapter uh, 13 says something Lot should have considered. It says, but the men of Sodom were more wicked sinners, were wicked sinners before the Lord. <laughs> they were wicked and sinners before the Lord. And Lot should have paid attention to that. But he didn't. Now, these are some verses I want to read and just make little comments about to give us a view of Lot and a picture. Okay? We know that in, in, in chapter 18... I clicked that on a little too soon because in chapter 18, these, these three men come to Abraham, and they're going to, they tell him, after they have a meal, they tell him they're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And one of the men was the Lord. And so at the end of that meal, and as they're walking away, the Lord pulls aside and begins to talk to Abraham. And he says, I'm going to destroy. So Abraham begins to, to kind of um, negotiate with God. <laughs> he says, uh, but Lord, if there were 50, would you destroy? He said, no, I won't destroy 50. If there's 50 righteous in, in that city, I won't destroy it. And he works his way down, and he ends up with 10. Lord, if there's 10 righteous in the city, will you destroy it? And God says, no, I won't destroy it if there's 10. And I don't know why he stopped there. Uh, Maybe he was pretty confident that there was Lot and his wife and his two daughters and their two son-in-laws, and he had some servants. So six, 10, that's pretty close, okay? He might should have went for five or four because it didn't work out too well. So anyway, that's where it's at. So the angels leave, and they go into, this is them going into the city. They go into Sodom and Gomorrah. The two angels entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in, the, in Sodom's gateway. Now, this gateway is not a chain-link fence gateway. This gateway is not like a little wooden fence. The gateway is huge. And this is the center of all the political and geoeconomical uh, environment for the city. All the politicians, all the people of power, they're in the gate. And Lot's right there with them. He wants to be respected. He wants to be important. He wants to be viewed as the world as the big shot in town. You can tell. He's in the gate. So they go in and they meet Lot. And he bows. He bowed with his face to the ground and said, My lords, turn aside to your servant's house. Wash your feet. Spend the night. Then you can get up early in the morning. And they, they know the situation. So they're saying, No, no, we'll, we'll just spend the night out here in the square. Well, most travelers wouldn't stay in the square anyway. So they're kind of pushing Lot, I think, to, to you know... <laughs> To show him the depravity of the whole city because they say, well, just stay in the square. Oh, he gets panicky. Oh, no, he urges them. No, no, no. Come with me to my house. And he prepared a feast for them and fed them. And before he went to bed, so these horrible men from the city, they come. And they come, uh, both young and old. The whole population surrounded the house. What do you, I don't think we can really get into our mind the cultural disrespect this was for Lot. This was horrible. And you would not do this to your worst enemy in that culture. So you can see how Lot is not being respected. And his life is, is, is not one they're looking up to and respecting. And as they come, they're, they're really um, infringing in a way that is highly, highly offensive to this man in this Eastern culture. They called out to Lot and said, where are the men who came with you tonight? Send them out that we may have sex with them. And in verse 6, Lot says, hey, listen. Um, don't do this evil, my brothers. Look, I have two daughters who haven't been intimate with a man. With a man. 
I'll bring them out to you, and you can do whatever you want to them. However, you don't do anything to these men because they come under the protection of my roof. And that still goes on today in, in that culture, that, that, not that they offer their daughters, but, but that the protection under a person's roof is, is highly, 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 highly regarded. Sarah faced that when she went to Jordan some. You know, she, she would be, uh, one time she was kind of being, uh, um, <clears throat> not attacked, but bothered by some young men. And some of the men in the shops came out of their shop and kind of rescued her. And there's this chivalry that takes place. And this ideal in their culture is huge. And for these men to come there was just highly, highly offensive to Lot. And you can see that his relationship with this, with this uh, city is not what he wanted. So he says, they said, get out of the way. And uh, uh, this one came here as an alien. They're talking about Lot. He came as an alien. Now he's acting like a judge before us. Uh, now we'll do more harm to you than to them. Uh, they put a pressure on Lot and came up to, the, to break down the door. But the angels reached out, brought Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. And they struck the men with, that were there at the entrance of the house, both young and old, with blindness so that they were unable to find the entrance, and they had to go away. So then the angel said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, a son-in-law, your sons and daughters, anyone else in this city who belongs to you? Get them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place because the, cry, the outcry against its people is so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So there's the warning, and he, he, Lot takes it, and he says, hey, he went and spoke to his son-in-laws. But what did they do? They thought he was joking. Did they respect Lot? Did they think he's a man of God they should listen to? No. See there? And, and this is in a betrothal time. In, in, in the Jewish culture, they were married, yet they were there building their house, getting things ready. You know, they had a year to do that, I think. And so there was this betrothal that was taking place. He considered them to be a part of his family. So he wanted to rescue them. So he went to his son-in-law's. But his son-in-law's thought he was joking. And at daybreak, the angels urged Lot on, get up, take your wife and your daughter, your two daughters, and get out of here, or, or you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated, and because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and they brought him uh, out and left him outside the city. When I read that, I thought, well, God in his sovereignty sent two angels with four hands. <laughs> and that's what he needed. <laughs> He knew how many people were saved in there, didn't he? He knew how many people were going to be saved. Four, not six, not ten. Well, as soon as the angels got uh, them out, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you'll be swept away. And we know the end of the story there. His wife turns and tur looks back and she's turned to salt. And then there's some other pretty despicable things that take place after. You can read that later today. But my point is, Lot was totally saturated in the city of Sodom. He wasn't just there living. He wasn't there to be a missionary. He wasn't there to be a Christian, you know, a Jewish witness to these people. And anyway, so he was just saturated. And Abraham, you know, he, he felt compelled. But I, I think he thought, surely there's six of them. Surely Lot's influenced four people. But he hadn't. He hadn't even influenced four people. Because he had learned a hard lesson. You can be a person of faith, you can be a person of covenant, and you can have all the blessings of God poured out in your life, just like all of us do, but you can be totally saturated with the world. You can be saturated in it. And I mean, what I mean, I mean, you can, you can choose to live like Lot did and chase after happiness in the world, 
and it will be a miserable existence. If you know Christ, it will not, you will not be happy. That's not where you're going to find happiness. You know, First John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of flesh, pride of life. They're not of the Father, but they're of the world. And the world passes away and all that's in it. But those who do, do the will of God will live. Divide. And so that's the ideal here. When we're talking about the world, I'm talking about the world of politics, the world of sports, the world of fashion, the world of entertainment, the world of education, the world of self-fulfillment, the world of wealth, the world of business, you name it. Whatever it is, whatever it is that consumes you, whatever it is that you're filling your cup with, whatever we, you know, uh, are overflowing our life with and just consumed with, um, whatever we're pouring into our minds. I was thinking of, of uh, Proverbs 4.23 um, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of the or the issues of life. And in the uh, International Children's Bible, the ICB, that's not one y'all read a lot probably, but um, I have read that a little. It's good. And it says, it makes it simple for children. That's why I like it. And it says, be careful. Be very, very careful about what you think. Your thoughts run your life. So where do our thoughts come from, guys? It's what we put into our mind. What are we putting into our mind? What are we filling our life with? So that's the challenge. And if we as believers are in the world, living as the world, walking like the world, talking like the world, we're not seeking holiness in our lives, there'll be no significance in life. There'll be no crying out truth to other people. They won't hear. They won't listen. You can warn them all you want. They're not going to care. There'll be no self-respect. And there'll be a huge loss of purpose. A recent survey was done. I heard this on a Christian station a couple weeks ago. And it said... Um, they did a bunch of thousands of men. What's the number one struggle that men find in life? Is it home, children, money, finance, jobs, pornography, sex? You know what it was? Purpose in life. Men struggle to find purpose in life. And that's just like that guy I talked to Friday. He said, I hate my job. I need a bigger purpose. I'm like, well, God's speaking to you, you know, as I was talking to him. So no identity, no purpose. And no one would know that you're placed here on planet Earth in, for this time in life to represent God. We're so sidetracked by all the, the politics and all the ways we want to handle the pandemic. We're losing the opportunity to be salt and to be light and to be a witness. The gospel is what changes lives. <laughs> Let's don't lose sight of that. And there'll be no true happiness because we're going to separate happiness for pseudo-happiness. We're going to separate happiness for, um, for, for a, a pseudo-form of holiness, maybe a religious form. And let's look at that word real quick of the word holy because I want to define it. Hagios is the Greek word, a cut above, set apart. Uh, Thad mentioned the Old Testament word last week, which is a, a Hebrew word which means to be very, very separate, special. Like God is special, special, special. He's holy, holy, holy. Exactly like that. The word is... Uh, um, Saint, holy, sanctuary, holiness, holy of holies, all of that is hagios. We know there's two sides to holiness, which is the positional holiness. God declares us to be that way when we come to him. We are holy in him because Christ covers us, like Dad said last week. And then there's the practical daily working outside. And that's what we're talking about here a lot today, is that working outside of holiness. Uh, Stephen Oford, in a, a book he wrote called The Way of Holiness, he, um, he had a good um, take on this. And he said that there is actually the Hebrew, the separate above, and then there's the Greek, the cut above, and, and something set apart. And then he said something I've never known before. He said there's actually another word called halig, 
and it's an Anglo-Saxon word. So the, the scriptures go from Greek to Latin to us as Anglo-Saxon. And he said, so when they chose that word as holiness, it was because that word halig in the Anglo-Saxon word means, it means health and soundness and wholeness. And he said, that really adds a third dimension to holiness. He said, if you want to have health and soundness and wholeness as a Christian, <laughs> then you need to seek holiness in your life. You need to live a life that's separate and different and not like everybody else. How will they know you're different? Okay, so I like that. So <clears throat> just setting apart unto God. The two, sides of, um, the two sides of holiness in the practical sense is from the world and unto God. If we just draw away from the world, we will be a, a Pharisee. We will be a hypocrite. That's never works. It has to be God living through us so we draw toward God. It's like a level. I mean a square. Could be a level, but it's a square. <laughs> so it's a square. So away from the world and unto God. That's the two sides of holiness. So as we're seeking to become more holy, it's as we're driving ourselves into Christ. He is our holiness, not a religious exercise. Okay? If it's religious, if it's religion, then it's go here, do this. That's what Jesus said, I've come to set you free from. From sin and self, Satan and religion. Because he was talking to very religious people. <laughs> so the holiness that we seek is in him. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Then as we're, as we're saturating our life with Christ instead of allowing the world to saturate our lives, then we can begin to experience Romans 12, 1 and 2. Then we begin to live out 1 John 2, 6. It says, walk as Jesus walked. We begin into a whole deeper, fuller, richer dimension of life than, than you would ever be known before, than the world is ever going to offer you. Okay? So as we're going through this journey... We're being careful with how we're walking, we're watching the destination, and we're surrendering our lives to the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that we're going to have hope and happiness. And there's, a, there's a, a couple of verses in Revelations that really bring this out. I like it a lot. And you know, Revelations is the only book that opens with a promise of happiness, and it closes with a promise of happiness. I don't know if you ever noticed that or not, but in the first three verses, the, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, directed John, blessed, and this is the Amplified, but blessed, happy, prosperous to be admired is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and who keep the things which are written in it, heeding them and taking them to heart for the time of my fulfillment is near. And then it closes it right here in 22. And behold, I'm coming quickly, Jesus said, blessed, happy, prosperous to be admired how, how are we going to get this happiness? Is the one who heeds and takes to heart and remembers the words, the prophecies. That's the predictions, consolations, warnings contained in this book. If we do that, then we can embrace biblical happiness and true happiness. We'll understand what the Bible talks about and about the abundant life Jesus offered us. And just remember what Jesus said. I've told you these things so that in me, you would have perfect peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, distress. That's the verse I started with, remember? I told you, that's our definition of, of, of our difficulties in the Christian life right there. But he said, be courageous. Why? Be confident. Be undaunted. Field. I have overcome the world. My conquest is com accomplished. My victory is abiding. It's in him. <laughs> it's in him. First John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know? He is, he's got to be living through us as we surrender him. And is he do, if he does that, we will see a, a difference in our life, in our attitude, in our purpose. Everything comes into play. How amazing, supremely happy, 
Psalms 119, which is all about the Word of God, by the way. How amazing, supremely happy, and favored by God are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep His decree and obey His Word. So the holy Christian is the happy Christian. (laughs) If you want happiness as a Christian, we we need to seek holiness. That's the message of the day. So some questions are, and let me give you this real quick. I kind of went to that in a little quick on my slides. Um, just a, one last warning, but Satan is a mimic. I think I mentioned this when I spoke last time in December, but Satan is a mimic. And I always like to remind us of that because he's, he's always on the attack. He's on the offensive. And he will gladly give you happiness. He will gladly give you happiness. You want the things that will make you happy, he'll pour them into your life. Because he knows that if we're substituting um, holiness for happiness, and we're, we're chasing after this worldly form of happiness, that we will not be effective for Christ. There will be no one saying, what's that hope in you? Like I said earlier, he will offer us anything to keep us from living a holy life because he knows the lost world is going to be drawn to Christ through us. In 1 Peter 3.15, that verse says, but sanctify, that's, that's the word hagios, set apart God in your life. Sanctify the Lord God in your life. Put him high and holy in your life. And as you do that, always be ready to give an answer. Because it's going to cause a chain of events and effect in other people's lives. They're going to see that hope. They're going to see that happiness. They're going to say, what have you got? And I'll tell you, if you, if you live like I have a long time, 48 years as a Christian, and, and nobody's ever come to you and asked you that, there's probably a problem. I mean, we need to be living that kind of life. That we are surrendered, we're committed, we're, we're sold out. And so 1 Peter 3.15 says, if you sanctify God in your life, if you seek holiness, other people will begin to notice that. And we'll impact the world because of it. He's our holiness and he's our happiness. Don't substitute anything for that. Paul Fleming, the guy that started New Tribes Mission, he used to say all the time, don't let the good things in life become the enemies of the best. We can, Satan would love to fill our lives with good things. <laughs> He'll give you all the good things you want in substitute of the best. (laughs) And again, I just tell you that happiness is is the holy Christian is the happy Christian. So closing now, what are the great influences in my life? Some questions to consider. What are those influences? And where do I go when life gets tough? When things don't go the way I've planned, what's my response going to be? So how am I doing? Am I, am, I, am I able to live in this world without it influencing me, without it changing me, without it tormenting me? Uh, how, am I do, what, how am I defining happiness? And uh, by the way, I was thinking too, of, there are some good examples in the Bible you could read about people that lived in the world, but not of the world. Like, can you think of some like Joseph, Daniel, Daniel's three friends? There's others. What about Obadiah? You know about Obadiah? Obadiah, if you go home and read it today, 1 Kings 18. I was reading this a few weeks ago, and it kind of jumped out at me that here's a guy that's God's man, but he's also the chief of staff of Ahab. Now, that's Ahab and Jezebel. It's it's said of them, the Scripture says, Ahab did more to anger the Lord of Israel than uh, all the kings of Israel before him. He was horrible. And when Jezebel was killing the prophets, massacring the prophets, Obadiah took a hundred of them and hid them in two caves at his own expense, fed them and clothed them and took care of them. All the time he was serving Ahab. So go figure. But he knew how to do it. This guy was, was able to do both. He was in the world, but he's not of the world. And he goes on later, he, he writes the book of Obadiah, 
which is the shortest book in the Old Testament. One chapter. <laughs> so just some extra information, but it, it's interesting. That is a great example. Five keys to true happiness, and I'm going to wrap it up for you. But here's the things. These are not odd or strange. These are just common, basic we could call them radical because they're just back to the basics. <laughs> and that is, we need to stay in the Word. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I'm called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. <laughs> he ate the Word. He loved the Word. And Psalms uh, 119 is all about the Word. And in verse 11, David said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed to thy Word. Guys, when I went to Bible college... It was, it was the best two years of our lives when I was young. I was like 20. And we sold everything, went to a Bible college at New Tribes Mission up in Michigan. During that time, for two years, I had to memorize four verses a day. Stand up in class and say those verses or, and write them for the teacher and that kind of thing. Four verses a day. It was the best thing. You could take away everything in Bible college but memorization of the Scripture. <laughs> that changed my whole life. So we need to memorize his word, meditate on it, chew on it. That works holiness into us. That counteracts the things the world's doing to us. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a shot. <laughs> it's like an antivirus. <laughs> the word of God is the antivirus for the world. Okay? So stay in the word. Stay surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Stay surrendered, like Ephesians tells us, and Galatians, and, and humble about it. First Peter, you know, be humble and surrendered to Christ. Stay in an attitude of prayer, probably our greatest weapon against the world infringing on our spiritual life and affecting our lives and our hearts is, is prayer. But it's the least used of all the assets we have, prayer is. So stay praying and stay serving. And in serving, sharing the gospel, putting others first, and then going out and looking for, Lord, make me keenly aware today of the opportunities to live for you, to live for you, and to share the gospel with others. Help me not to miss those opportunities. And then another, the last big one I put down is stay away from sin. Continually push back on the world. Continually push back. In a practical sense, like when I get in the truck, am I going to turn it on a news channel? Am I going to turn it on a Christian channel? Or what, what am I going to fill my mind with? Okay, push back from the world. If you know you have a weakness, don't go there. Avoid the occasion of sin. Don't go there. Stay away from those things you're weak in. See? And so push back on sin. Stay away from it. The Bible says to flee it. <laughs> flee Satan. So don't let yourself fall into the downward, discouraging spiral of viewing worldly events through worldly eyes. That's what the church is doing a lot. Don't do it. Bring it all back to the reference point of the Word of God and the Spirit and what He's doing in the world. There's a bigger picture going on. He's sovereign like that. So he's sovereign, and we need to commit to that and realize He's in control. He's got the whole world in the palm of His hand, just like I'm holding that clicker. <laughs> That's God. And He's in control, and we need to go back to that and not let the world. Don't view worldly events through worldly eyes. And uh, Spurgeon had a good note on Psalms 1-1. It said, the godly man, however, does Psalms 1-1, the godly man, however, does not consider first how the world regards a thing, but how God looks at it. Okay, that's the challenge for us as believers. Isn't it? The question really is, where is our focus? Is it here or is it there? And how do we keep it there? <laughs> that's the challenge. And Jesus tells us that. Jesus tells us how to get there, how to do that. CNN can't do it. Fox won't do it. The news chat channels won't do it. You can't Google search it or, or FaceTime's not going to help you. But Jesus said this, when you don't understand, seek, me, seek first the kingdom of God. 
Just keep, it, keep the priority right. Keep the main thing the main thing. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things, all these things will be added unto you. They'll be taken care of. Just trust him. That's <laughs> all we got to do. That's all we got to do. And the last quote is from A.W. Tozier, and this sums it up pretty good. He says, trying to be happy without a sense of God's presence is like trying to have a bright day without the sun. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Why? We've given ourselves to him. It's all about him, guys, not us. And so how do we put others first? We surrender to him. How do we avoid getting trapped in the world's view of things? We just keep surrendering to him and just give it back to him. I don't understand what's going on, Lord. Give it to him. Give it to him. Don't, don't keep fighting because the world's influencing us so much. And within this age of communication, it's worse than ever. <laughs> I wish we didn't even have all that. <laughs> I'd go back to a, a pager. <laughs> Be glad to. So that's the challenge. And I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Dad's going to come close. We're not on. We are on. You know, I was thinking as David was speaking, that's a lot to to think through. Um, I guess for me, I mean, I was listening, David, to the whole thing, but for me, you know, just thinking about how am I going to use this, you know, Lord, what are you going to do with me? Um, I was just thinking when you illustrating that balance beam, first of all, I would never get on it. But when I got past, that's not what I'm ever going to do. I loved the focus on the Lord, that piece. And it reminded me that, like, if I was, if you were walking a beam and we we're doing side by side, well, David, just go right across it. I'd be like, you know, trying in my own strength to get across it and being distracted in a major way for fear, fear of my own life. And I'm like, you know, Lord, um, it's hard in the midst of everything going on to keep my focus on the end of that, right? And I think that's the challenge. At least that's one of the challenges for me, and it probably is for you as well, that, that we would, instead of focusing on the chaos, that we would focus on the one who's in control. And so I appreciate everything that was said today. That's a lot to consider. And the good part is about you have all afternoon and all week to do it, all right? Okay, hold on a second. I offered you two. <laughs> and they said, uh-uh. So... I offered him and John too, and they're like, no, thank you. Um, we appreciate our elders and those that uh, labor among us. The Lord has given us a lot of great teachers. And uh, we really appreciate David's ministry to us today through the Word. And uh, I'm going to ask that um, we stand. And as we stand to close, I want to make mention of a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, the tabernacle, walkthrough tabernacle, um, is from September the 9th through the 19th. And there's sign-ups out there, and um, Roxanne will be out there after church, and she can talk with you about a time to come. But looking forward to that, just the outreach that potential that has uh, for us as a, as a church body. I also wanted to make mention of New to Grace. We have a few signed up for next week, but this will be the last day of sign-up. I really need you to sign up because uh, we have a meal that we're going to have, and so I kind of need to know how many of you guys are going to come. So. I'd really, really appreciate it if you'd just sign up, and, and uh, we want to be able to give you more information about uh, the body here at Grace and what we do. 
I also want to make mention of the upcoming uh, discipleship uh, series this fall, which will begin um, on the 12th and 14th of September. And it's the book by Robert Morgan, God Works All Things Together for Your Good. And so uh, in times like this, we certainly need that kind of reminder. We probably know that verse by heart, but the Lord wants us to trust Him. So uh, I think it's great, as David started out, you know, being together. Uh, we enjoy being together, and small group is a great opportunity to be together, to pray together, to study together, to, to encourage one another. So I encourage you to sign up for that study. The sign-up sheet for that is past the office entrance in uh, the foyer. All right, let's bow together and, and let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for the reminders this morning about happiness and holiness. Thank you, Lord, that truly uh, the way that we are ever going to be happy uh, is uh, to be uh, separate, separated to you, focused on you. I'm not focusing on the things of this world. It is so easy to be distracted. And so I pray for all of us who have your spirit in us that this week that we would be focused on who you are and, and all the promises that we have in just knowing you. Lord, we want to um, just pray for the folks in our congregation who are not feeling well. Again, we commit them to you. We pray they get better, Lord, and that they be able to rejoin us. Thank you so much, Lord, that while everything around us is ever-changing, you never change. And so we just commit our day to you, our week to you, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would work out in all of our lives the different things that we were taught today. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.